And that's kind of wanted to take the opportunity tonight <clears throat> to talk about the pros and cons of, of our traditional practice and what we've gained through Zoom and COVID and what we've lost. Um, it's pretty clear what we've gained, which is the, the that many more people can join us that couldn't join us because of physical distance were part of the Sangha. And that's wonderful. They can join us on a, you know, several times a week. And for new people who have arrived and found us, it's great that the Dharma is available. And that we have these talks and we have the opportunity to do some service and, uh, and have the possibility of interviews with 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 myself or with dharma holders or assistant teachers so they, they're the positives <clears throat> but the for those of you who haven't had the chance or the opportunity yet to been involved with us at a physical level in a physical practice there are some things that we're missing and you and, and i completely understand that you won't miss them because yet you, you haven't experienced them but I do want to talk about some of the things that perhaps we'll not have any opportunities to work with and hopefully we will in the future. So I just scribbled down really the, the what, what in a way the four foundations of the practice of this tradition. And of course, number one is Zazen. These are not, they're not in order, but I suppose Zazen is definitely the basis of our practice. And then the study, you know, studying the Dharma, the, the, the tradition, the, 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 the sayings of ancient masters and the, the books and understanding of contemporary teachers. And then both of those are available to us on Zoom, although we don't sit together. And that, that in a way minimizes or reduces the power of, of, of the Zazen to some degree, for sure. And then there's form or ceremony which is, you know, when we do the service, all the different rituals and um, ways that we relate to each other in the Zendo, which are really important uh, and which require us to be very aware and conscious of what we're doing. So it's a great practice in that respect. And then finally, there's the, the fourth foundation is a relationship with the teacher which is an important part of this tradition. Um, when we don't have all four, what we miss is which of those one or more that we're resistant to. And almost certainly all of us, when we come into the practice, we'll, be, we'll find we're resistant to one or other of them. And <clears throat> that resistance is really important because it gives us the opportunity to further our practice because you know we really have to look into why am I resistant to this? What, I mean, for example, a, a common thing that folk are resistant to when they first start is service, bowing, because for them it's resonance perhaps if they're from a Christian background of a kind of bowing to a God. That isn't the case, of course, that's not why we bow, but people have, can have that feeling. Form and ceremony, people have resistance to. Why are you all dressing up in robes and why are you all having to do the same thing? 
why do I have to sit like this? And why do I have to go around the zendo that way? And uh, all those kind of things. And, and then of course, there's the resistance to teacher-student relationship, which is, is common as well. Um, <clears throat> so we don't have a chance on Zoom to look at all those things, but equally, I'm really pleased. I mean, I'm, I'm looking tonight and there's what, 46 people present. That's amazing. You know, it, when we were in Liverpool, even on a good night, we'd have, you know, 30 at the very maximum. So wonderful. But this practice, uh, it, it's not an easy, it, Zen isn't easy, you know, it's a tough practice. And it needs to be practiced and it needs to be studied and it needs to be actualized. Um, and it requires all kinds of commitments from us. Dedication requires discipline. Um, it requires patience, which is, you know, always been a hard one for me because I'm not very patient. Motivation requires motivation. So, and also it's not just about when you're in the Zendo or when you're on Zoom or when you're listening to me or listening to other folk, our intention and hope is that we take our practice out into our everyday activity, you know, whether we're out for a walk, whether we're having a meal, whether we're working, every aspect of our life, we, we intend to take the practice. Um, and just, I just keep clarifying some things that perhaps not, might be immediately clear if you started the practice or not. You know, none of us are beginners. We're all beginners in this, by the way. I, I, we're all beginners. And we're also all experienced because we've led a life. And if you've led a life, then this is what the practice is about. You know, you've got experience of life. And so the, the, the tradition is, is really, that, you know, hone it down. It's, it's really an investigation into the human condition. You know, what, what is this? Why are we here? What's the point? How do we lead our lives? Um, what would, how would we describe a direct experience of our basic nature? What does that mean? What is Buddha nature? So, yeah, we need curiosity as well. And I said to somebody earlier, we, we definitely need the three foundations of the three basic needs, which is faith, great faith, great doubts, and great endurance. You need all three. Any one of them are lacking and you'll fall away. Um, yeah. So as we progress in the practice, our intention is to try and see the world in a clearer way. So we, we, we want to experience the world more directly. Um, <clears throat> and normally the way we experience the world, it's, it's, it's conditioned by, by uh, our knowledge, by our background, by our feelings, by our genes. Um, and all these things create a particular way we think or see about the world. 
Um, we develop habits and routine patterns, which we think are real, uh, that we're stuck with. Even though, even if we know they cause us suffering, we still do them. Uh, so in a way, the essence of the practice, is it's, it's finally about letting go. You know, how do we let go of all the things we're holding on to? All the things that we know, we really do know, are the source of our difficulties and suffering, but we can't kind of let go. What is it? Why do we hold on to them? Why do we create this ongoing suffering for ourselves? These are great questions to ask yourself, you know? So I like the idea of the practice being, well, it's, 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 it's a dance and it's a seeking. It's the paradoxical dance and seeking that we're after. You know, we're dancing with it and we're seeking with it and we're trying to answer it as well. We're doing all those things. Um, what did I say? Yeah. I like this. Um, there's a quote from Rumi here. Rumi was, a, as you know, was a per Persian. Uh, actually, it says Persian. I thought, was Rumi Persian? I thought he was Turkish. Anyway, Persian mystic poet Rumi. Maybe I've got it wrong. In his own divine desperation said the following. And this may, this may resonate with some of you who have your hair on fire. Some of you, it doesn't necessarily, you know, maybe you've just come into the practice because you'd like to improve your well-being. But... Anyways, I have lived on the lip of insanity, wanting to know reasons, knocking on a door. It opens. I've been knocking from the inside. Judging from this poem, you know, so this is the poem, sorry. I have lived on the lip of insanity, wanting to know reasons, knocking on a door. It opens. And I realize I've been knocking from the inside. Basically what he's saying is everything, all that's available to you is, is from in you all this stuff that's going on out there that's not really what it's about um, and let me just say this <clears throat> this is a commentary judging from this poem Rumi struggled for a long time to penetrate the paradox of his mind i.e the paradox being that I am already enlightened, but I don't realize it. How do we know that? How do, how, do we, how do we deal with that paradox? It was the reason that Dogen went to China. Anyway, he'd been trying to penetrate this paradox with his mind, but the door eventually opens by itself, almost in spite of his efforts, and reveals that he's been living in the secret chamber all along. Rumi's epiphany when he discovers that he's been looking from the inside out, mirrors the surprise relief and delight of those seekers who finally wear themselves out, attempting to unravel the paradox and drop to the ground exhausted. Only to discover that they've never strayed from home, even in their most desperate moments. And as Dogen says, no creature ever falls short of its own completeness. No creature ever falls short of its own completeness. 
Wherever it stands, it does not fail to cover the ground. You never fall short of your own completeness. You are complete. But like me, you know, we really got to squeeze the last drop out of the toothpaste tube before we realize. We've really got to pick up every rock on every beach and look underneath and find there's nothing there to finally know that we're going to drop down exhausted and we get bored with our stuff. So let me encourage you to carry on searching. Uh, it's the only way. What time is it now? Half past. Have I, have I got, I've forgotten, uh, but how long did I decide we should, was it 50, 45 minutes? Let me just say a few extra words because a few people have asked me about this. When you have an interview, not necessarily with me or with anybody, but within the tradition, when you have an interview, if, let me just say a few things, the way to approach it, because it can be difficult. And particularly on Zoom, where the temptation is because we don't see each other is to ask each other how we are, and that's okay, but you know, it takes time. So, First of all, keep it simple. It's about your experience. It's not about theory or philosophy or what something means. It's about the challenges that you're facing in your life. That's what the interview is about. And that's, that's what to bring. The other thing is to take a chance, you know, if you're not really sure of what you want to ask, Nevertheless, say you don't know, but this is perhaps on your mind, or maybe you're scared to ask something. Be courageous and ask, you know. Um, go there. Um, be succinct with what you want to say, if you can. If you've got a question before you ask the question, check in with yourself whether that's your real question or whether there's a question behind the question that you actually don't want to front up to. Check all those things. And most of all, it's about now. It's not about then, and it's not about down the line. None of us can answer or solve problems that are going to arise in the future. So, you know, I mean, I worry about the future, same as everyone else, but nobody's got the answer. And this is difficult because I used to do it for sure. So, I, you know, I completely sympathize with everything that comes up in interviews because I've, you know, with 30 years with lots of teachers, I've done all this stuff, you know, ego stuff. And, but uh, and impress the teacher. You don't need to impress. The, you don't need to impress the person. Uh, or prove yourself. You're fine. And on top of that, don't be intimidated. You know, the whole situation is slightly intimidating and it's set up to be intimidating because it puts you, it kind of brings the, the ego up, brings it up and you get a chance to look at it, you know. And I can assure you that I've sat in an interview line um, not wanting to go in because I was afraid I'd fail with my question or I'm working on a cone. And already my ego screaming blue murder. I don't want. I don't. I don't. I don't want to fail. I don't want to be seen to fail. You know. No. 
And then no matter what happens, you know, finally, you know, as I said before, stay with the dance. You know, it, it can be a dance between you and the teacher. And it can be fun. Yeah. Okay. I've done. And I'm very, I welcome any comment, question, repudiation, affirmation, whatever. Oh, hi, Zenki. Hey, Roshi. Um, thank you for that, succinctly. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> that was it tonight. But thank you for that. That's really to the point. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Alistair. Actually, I was just thinking about the pluses and minuses of, of Zen by Zoom. Um, the fact that it's that we're able to continue practicing in a Sangha at all, uh, you know, over the last over the last twelve months, eleven months, wherever the hell we are now, feels like five years. You know, um, is. It's just the most amazing thing. I, you know, thank God this pandemic waited until the internet was a mature thing, you know, um, because I don't know what it would have been like to try and continue a practice isolated from everybody without having, you know, some contact with everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, I've really appreciated it and I've really appreciated the efforts that everybody in Liverpool has, has gone to to make this possible. So I just wanted to say, you know, thank you all. It's not perfect, sure, but um, it's sounds like better than nothing. Alistair, two things. One is I've seen more of you in the last six months than in the last 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, it's not Liverpool anymore. It's right around the country. There are a lot of people who yeah. sound like Silla Black now. There's a lot of people who are contributing to... The Zoom and all that we're doing. Yeah. Lots of fun. But thank you. Yes, and you yeah. yeah, yeah, thank you. Hi, Roshi. Hi, hi, John. Thanks for that. Uh, just to add, really, to what's been said, that um, well, well, actually, it was in the Zendo uh, today in Liverpool, which was a bit of a strange experience. Uh, it's a bit like the wreck of the Marie Celeste, you know, the, all the maps are still there. No, it's blood cold in there as well, isn't it? It's, yeah, it has, that, it has that sort of sterile coldness, somewhere that has, hasn't been lived in for a while, you know. So it's, it's very strange. But as Alex is just saying, you know, the flip side is, when I think is, where is all the warmth gone? Well, the warmth is there every day, you know, in bucket falls, really, over this little screen. And... Um, yeah, it's, you know, the power of just practicing with the Sangha is so, so important uh, in my life. That's, that's been the strength of it. And I just wanted to say as well, you know, Reed Crosby, I mean, we, we've obviously we've come to the view that uh, we're going to be online at, at um, the spring session. But I guess, as you said, you know, the thing with Crosby is you can have all those little incidental conversations checking checking each other out checking the teacher out checking what the food's like you know and um and uh, we miss that of course we do but uh, but this is as good as it gets i'm absolutely convinced it's, it's a real bonus so uh thank you for emphasizing it thank you john thank you 
Rashid, there's a question from Letitia on the chat. Um, oh, really? She says, hi, sorry, I've got issues with my mic. My question is how to get progress quickly in the practice of knowing one's nature. What's the best way of bringing the practice to day-to-day -day life? There isn't any quick way, sadly, uh, Letitia. I'm sorry, it's a long, well, sometimes success comes early, but then that's often followed by disillusionment. So it's a de definitely a long, gradual process. And um, my, after many years of, being, of, of this question arising for folk, how do we take our practice into daily life? I think it's more important to ask how you take your daily life into practice, the other way around. What, what do you, bring your daily life to the practice, bring the issues that come up for you, the irritations, you know, that is your life, the things that go on. I heard somebody the other day, an American writer talking about culture. And she said, culture is going to work. Culture is getting on the bus. Culture is making your dinner. Culture is dealing with your kids. That's what culture is. And that's, that's what practice is. It's not separate from your life. If you make it separate, then uh, it will become separate. And it isn't. They're both intimately connected. In fact, they're one. Thank you. But thank you for asking the question. A really good question. Thank you. Neil? Hi. Um, I usually get my questions at, at breakfast the next day. Okay. But um, uh, I, was, I was thinking one thing that's amazed me this year has been that, that I do get some of the feeling of sitting in person through these Zoom sessions, and it it just amazes me that that you get any of that through through like video online. Um, but I wanted to ask it because it's still not it's definitely not the same. So why why is it that much more powerful to sit in person together? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, Neil, but it's definitely true. There is a kind of community sense of maybe yeah, definitely. Sitting together has more power. Maybe we're all getting the same, kind of same wavelength, or I, I don't know, but it's it's pragmatically, it's true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But thanks for asking. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Oh, okay. Alistair, one last one. I, I was I was just going to build on that, actually. I was, I was wondering if it was related to the reason why we sit facing inwards. Whereas traditionally in Zen, you often sit facing the wall. And uh, I've always sort of thought of us facing inwards during Zazen as really enhancing kind of our being with others, our presence with other people when we're sitting. And, you know, that experience of being with people and hearing the person next to you shifting in their seat, you know, because their knees sore or, you know, all, all, of, all of that sort of continual kind of reminder that you're you're not alone, I guess, um, is, is just something that I've always really appreciated. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wondering if it's something to do with that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's just, sorry, sorry, Gog. Uh, just, I, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt, but I had a curious question. In some traditions, you have um, Buddhist traditions, you'll have the, the holy man will go up to the Himalayas and spend time in isolation oh. where he's with no community what's all that about so yeah i appreciate we need sangha but then they sometimes go 
to total isolation to get some higher realization and um, to be, and they're totally isolated in the Himalayan mountains, et cetera, et cetera. And then is the Buddha nature, do you mean by dissolving our sense of self? Is that our attachment to self? Is that what we're trying to realize? By self, do you mean the ego? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're trying to certainly lessen our attachment or links to the, the ego being the driver. You know, there's a whole tradition, you know, about people in the Himalayas or living in a hole for three years or whatever. And great, you know, maybe they'll have a wonderful experience, but my view is, so what? Uh, maybe they can come back and live with two teenagers for a year, see what they're like, <laughs> they can handle it. <laughs> thank you for the question, though. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Okay, thanks, everybody. Have a lovely rest of the evening and tomorrow, and see you soon. Yeah, four hours, I believe, which I usually forget.